Well, good morning. That was lame That was delayed. That was like one of these refs in the NCAA tournament. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right. Welcome to the Mill Church. My name is Zach, and I'd like to invite you, if you're new and haven't filled out a welcome card, to do so, so we'll know who you and your family are and can get better acquainted. You can do that by going to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome on your smartphone at any point during the service, or you can fill out a hard copy version at the high top table when you leave today. That makes sense? All right. Well, we're glad you're here and joining us. This is the year of 52 stories. Every week in 2022, We're having a different member or a tender at the Mill Church share a story of God's faithfulness. And today, my friend Toby is going to come and share his story. Will you give Toby a warm Mill Church welcome? You're going to crush this, buddy. Is this on? Hello? nervous now because it was supposed to be next week. Um, the year 252 stories. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not a singer like the rest of these guys. All right. In the beginning, Zach asked me to do this. I told him I needed more than 15 minutes to tell my story. He says five to six minutes. I said, oh, that's even better. But in the beginning, I was no different than any of you. I grew up in a Christian family, went to church every Sunday, Sunday school, was confirmed, did everything a Christian family would do. Um, my life hit bottom in 1986. When my grandfather passed away, we were really close. A few weeks later, my father passed away. I kind of gave up on life, told God I just hated him every day, and then I was going to destroy my life because he took my life away from me. So there wasn't one point in my life that I did not wake up and tell God that I hated him. Even though I talked to him every day, he was still there. So I started destroying my life with alcohol, drugs, you name it. I tried to do it. Back then, you know, I'm 54 years old. To me, life was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what I called life. Well, the drugs, the alcohol, everything was destroying my life. I ended up in and out of jail quite a few times. Ended up in prison. But I still didn't care. I still hated God. And I was still going to destroy my life, no matter what. Finally, in and out of prison, got out in 94. I still rebelled. I got a woman pregnant, but I still had morals, somewhat morals, I thought. My dad taught me right, so I married the woman that had my child. I took care of seven kids, my wife and me. 
But I still didn't care. I still drank, did what I could to destroy my life. But I had a heart for other people, just not myself. Ah, let's see. Um, finally, the day come in 2005. I had my fifth drunk driving. I was looking at some more time. I was sitting in the holding cell, and I finally broke down and got on my hands and knees and told God I couldn't do this anymore. Something had to change. I need you in my life again, and I just need to change. He spoke to me that day, and he says, I never left you. You left me where you left me. And you talked to me every day, even though you hated me. So from then on, I became clean and sober. I asked God in, in my sentencing, I said, what do you want me to do for a living? He says, well, you're going to start your own painting business. And I kind of laughed. I said, yeah, right. So I thought about it. I did. I started my own painting business, painting people's houses and in the glory of God. I named it Heavenly Painting and Repairs. I actually worked for the church I went to, did building maintenance for them. Then things got rocky. I didn't know why. My wife told me to leave, so I moved in with my mother, and I still stayed loyal to God, no matter what, even though I didn't understand what was going on. Down the road, I finally just said, I'm done. I need to start over again, I guess. So I divorced my first wife. Still felt, uh, still remained faithful to God. I met my wife-to-be now. I moved away, started my life all over again because I knew how to start my life all over again. And God was there with me. I've done a lot for society, working for churches, done homeless rides, Sleepless nights watching them because other people would not watch them. Motorcycle rides because I'm a Christian motorcyclist. If I take this off, I'm no different than any of you. I just may look different. I still praise the same God, and I always will. And um, I don't know. The story begins that my dad died when he was 52. So that's where my story comes from. It all went down then, and I praise God now, and I praise you all, and I hope that you keep following him. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Well, thank you, uh, Toby. If you don't know Toby, to know Toby is to love Toby. So get to know Toby a little bit. Your life will be richer as uh, mine has been. And so I want to uh, encourage you, if you have a story to tell, reach out to me and connect and let me know, initiate a conversation. Otherwise, I'm sure you'll hear from me at some point anyway. Uh, but initiate, if you will. We would appreciate that. We're glad you're here this morning. The last several weeks, we have been 
looking at a New Testament book in the Bible called Colossians. I say a book, we call it that, a book, but it's actually a letter. It's a letter that's written by a man that scholars say is the greatest, many scholars, the greatest theologian that has ever lived. His name was Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He had a truly awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping encounter with Jesus Christ. It was not a welcomed encounter. It was not a planned encounter, at least not on the part of Saul. But Jesus, who was already resurrected from death, came back down to earth and had a conversation with Saul, who was at the time a Christian killer. You might call it a return visit on the part of Jesus, and Jesus confronted him. When he was all alone, he asked Saul the profound question, why are you persecuting? He didn't finish the question, Christians. He said, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, Saul realizes, wow, maybe there is something more to this faith than a few fruits and nuts running around, what I thought was a cult. Maybe this guy that they claim to follow is real. After all, he's speaking to me out of the clouds. Um, Maybe this guy that they claim to follow who just physically blinded me and took away my sight, uh, maybe I ought to pay him a bit of attention. And so this Christian killer becomes a committed Christian His eyesight is restored. He changes his name to Paul. He stops killing Christians. He begins to care deeply about newly planted churches. He plants them himself. He, uh, you know, even including ones that he's never visited, he cares about, like this church in the ancient city of Colossae, to whom he's writing this letter. So we're reading this letter. That's what we're doing, written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae that he's never visited. We're taking it verse by verse because we believe that the same Jesus who changed Toby, the same Jesus who changed Saul, to Paul wants to change uh, you and I, wants to visit with you and I, Um, So, I trust that the same Jesus who encountered Saul and gave him a new purpose for living, and Toby a new purpose for living, will give us a new purpose too. And Paul believes this so much that he's put in jail for it. In fact, the guys that he used to give marching orders to, to kill Christians, are now bringing him meals behind bars. And out of a cell comes this correspondence that we have the privilege of reading. So we'll pick it up in verses 28 through 29 of chapter 1. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. This Jesus we teach about, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, and for this I toil that he powerfully works within me. The next 
point or must that we're going to look at for a mature Christian is that we must share our faith. Turn to your neighbor and say that with me. We must share our faith. We must tell, we must teach others about Jesus. We must minister to others. And the first thing I want you to know this morning about ministry is that you are in it. You are in it. You are a minister. You may not realize it, but that's who you are called to be. If you are a maturing Christian, that is somebody who is growing in your faith, you will rightly understand that you are in a full-time, bona fide Christian ministry. It is irrespective, irregardless of what you do for a living. People think to themselves all the time, well, I'm not called to be a pastor, therefore, it's not my role to minister. Ministry is for professionals. No, if you know Jesus, and if you are breathing, you are called to minister. It may not be in a vocational capacity. You may not become an evangelist, a missionary, a pastor, a teacher in a Christian school, but it is a must for a maturing believer to share his or her faith. Some people think that the pastor is closer to God than they are. Can I just assure you that that's probably not the case? And you say, oh my goodness, what am I doing here, right? That's frightening. I will tell you, our family went to Shedd Aquarium yesterday in Chicago. It was a Saturday, okay, that we were at the Shedd Aquarium. It was for some, you know, reason, I guess, the weekend that some institutions were already starting their spring break. All to say, it was quite crowded, and especially so in this one exhibit, which is in the lower belly of the Shad Aquarium called the Wild Reef. The only thing wild about the reef was the number of people that was jammed into that place. Let me tell you, I, I felt like I was in the stomach of the whale that swallowed Jonah. It was an exhaustive, hot, miserable... Anybody been to like... Best Buy on Black Friday. Okay, that was the kind of experience that I found myself in trying to chase down two, two children. Um, I was alone. Somehow the rest of my family had been quarantined or separated from me. And here I found myself trying to keep up with a couple toddlers. In fact, they were acting like toddlers. <laughs> in the wild reef. And in addition... Uh, to it being hot and muggy there, we get into the minivan and try to get out of Chicago, which we managed to do. But is, are there any parents here who are familiar with the witching hour? Okay, the, the hour before, you know, right kind of in between mealtime and bedtime. And so I, we experienced the witching hour in the minivan last night with four kids and my wife, and my mother-in-law. 
and it was just an interesting uh, experience. Um, so I'll promise you, I'm not any closer to God than you are. And had you been a fly on the window of our minivan last night on its interior, you would agree with that. We all need Jesus. Amen? I need Jesus. Seldom more than when I'm in my minivan with children. But I need the Lord. And we always have the same access, both pastors and parishioners, to his grace and to the power of his Holy Spirit. So wherever you live and whatever you do, you belong to Jesus. And the presence of Jesus can fill you and go with you. So where you are, you are there as a minister representing him. And you're there to love and you're there to serve, and you're there to bless, and you're there to bring life. So you do not need to think of yourself, or to think to yourself, that Paul was a super Christian. He did ministry, certainly, but, but, but I'm ordinary, unlike Paul, and so I'll refrain from doing ministry, because that's not my calling. I'm called to construction, or I'm called to the medical profession. Or I'm called to own and operate a business. No, you're there to represent Jesus Christ. You're there to love, you're there to serve, you're there to bless, you're there to bring life. You're there to operate in integrity. You're there to be honest, you're there to be skillful, you're there to take care of your employees and other people. So you need not think of yourself as as needing to be some kind of super, super Christian or superhero And I don't even care if you're a farmer and around nothing but cows all day long. I mean, just think about it. What what an incredible opportunity to practice sharing your faith. Being around a bunch of cows. I mean, cows are attentive. They enjoy care. They'll talk back to you, right? You can, you can work on it, right? You can start your ministry right there. And inevitably, farmers do come into contact with more people, actual people, and have opportunities. So this is ministry. So even those of you who work alone will have opportunities to represent Jesus if you look for them. You may even work from home in this new era where so many people are covetous of a job where they can work from home and where so many jobs provide this kind of opportunity. And so you may be on a Zoom call, right? In a shirt and tie. And of course, your pajama pants, right? If that, okay? And you're you're serving and you're bringing the peace and presence of God to that Zoom call, this is what you need to know about ministry. Ministry is a lifestyle, not a job. Will you say that to your neighbor? Ministry is a lifestyle, not a job. Okay, so do you know what a job has? A job has a beginning and a job has an end. How many of you have ever turned in a resume? Raise your hand. That was the beginning of your job, right? How many of you, have you ever uh, turned in a notice? That was the end of your job, 
right? And so, um, how many of you have ever traveled from home to work? That was the beginning of your day at your job. How many of you have ever traveled from work to home? That was the end of the day at your job, right? So, how many of you have ever been in a break room before in your life? Okay, that happens at a job. See, that's what you call a job, but ministry is not a job. Ministry is a lifestyle. A job is a means to provide income. Ministry is a means to take people to heaven with you. They're very different. A job is a means of providing an income. A ministry is a means to take people to heaven with you. And for many jobs, this is a luxury if you have a job like this, you don't think about the job when you're off the job. This is one of my favorite things about working at Cracker Barrel in college. Why? Because when I took off the apron, I had three stars, by the way, <laughs> on my apron. And when I took it off, I was done. I was done. I didn't lay in, I didn't wake up at 3 a.m. and wonder if the guy found all the flour he needed to make biscuits that morning. It just wasn't my responsibility. When I, I was a waiter. I didn't unload the truck. I didn't worry if the forklift had battery power that morning. It just was of no concern to me, right? So ministry is more like, is more like a salary job in the sense that there are going to be evenings and weekends and disruptions and interruptions. You're going to need a lot of energy to do ministry in the same way that you need a lot of energy, mental energy, to do a salaried job. And the energy doesn't come from you. The energy comes from God. It comes from above. The second thing that I want you to know about ministry this morning, and Paul is alluding to it here, your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. Will you say that with me to your neighbor? Your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. The section of this text has been and continues to be about suffering. Paul has experienced so much pain, and out of that comes great ministry. A.W. Tozer once said, For God to use you mightily, he must wound you deeply. For God to use you mightily, he must wound you deeply. And here's what that means. The very worst part of your life is the very best place for your ministry. So, this is where the Bible says, we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from the Lord. If you have lost a child, guess what? You are most helpful, most equipped, most prepared to be with someone when they lose a child. If you wanted to save your marriage and it fell apart, right? You're in a strategic 
position to walk through with somebody whose marriage is falling apart. If you have faced cancer, you are poised to help someone who is battling cancer. (coughs) Excuse me. Yesterday morning, uh, we were at a continental breakfast at our hotel. We were in a tiny little room with about 40 other people. I didn't ask them, but I presume they were all headed to the Shedd Aquarium, (laughs) to the Wild Reef exhibit. But as we were battling them for Fruit Loops and muffins, this lady strikes up a conversation with my wife, Shannon, because they both have kids trying to get their breakfast. And she tells Shannon that they are here to attend a funeral for her dad. She's Shannon's age. For her dad. Her dad was still living, but they wanted to call the family in and have a living funeral and celebrate his life while he was still with them. Which is, by the way, I thought, a beautiful Beautiful thing to do. And she tells Shannon that her dad was just weeks ago suddenly diagnosed with and dying from glioblastoma, a form of brain cancer. And Shannon says, what a coincidence. My dad, six years ago, died from glioblastoma. And Shannon says, I'm so sorry about your dad. And this lady says, I'm so sorry about your dad. And they just had this moment of ministry by the waffle iron in the country inn and sweets. Your greatest pain can become your greatest ministry. Some of you think, I can't do ministry. I've made too many mistakes. I've committed too many sins. Well, if you've brought them to Jesus, and if you've grown in wisdom and learned from them, like Toby has, they are not disqualifiers for ministry. Guess what they are? They're qualifiers. They're qualifiers. There's only one person, by the way, who did it all right. And we killed him anyways. Jesus Christ. There are people in this church who could minister to you in ways that I, your pastor, could never think of ministering to you. They have learned things that I've yet to learn at 41 years of age. They've experienced things I've yet to experience. And as a result, they have insight that I don't have. 
So that's the beauty of the church of Christ. That's what makes stories like Toby's so poignant and so powerful. See, for some of you, it is your deepest pain that provides the opportunity for your greatest ministry. And if you're willing to share what Jesus has meant to you while you were going through pain, as Paul is sharing what Jesus means to him from a cold, dark prison cell, your pain will become your gift. Your pain can become a gift. Your pain is someone else's gift. See, so my thought is you paid way too high a price in suffering to waste your pain. Invest it in somebody else. Don't throw it away. Church perfection is simply unattainable in this lifetime. Progress, however, is possible, and the Bible calls that maturity. And one way you know you're maturing or growing is when you use your suffering to serve somebody else. See, when you make progress toward perfection, again, that's called maturing, and that's why so many older saints in our congregation, and I have been so blessed to have older saints in this congregation who I love dearly. I have wanted to be, I've been a closet codger. That's our 50s and up group for a long time. I just want to be a part of that group. They're the most happening thing we have at the mill. Cool oldsters doing God's exercises really slowly. Codgers. Okay? So they're a gift to the body of Christ. Why are they a gift? They say things like this. We just love learning here. I'm like, you're 70 years old. Yeah, but we just love learning here. We just, we just love good Bible teaching. We just love growing. God is not done with me. I'm convinced, they say. You students and you younger adults, please understand that we have older saints in our congregation who are not satisfied with the verses that they memorized when they were your age. They want to keep maturing. They're saying, Lord, where's the next step? Lord, now I'm, I'm turning 70. What do I need to repent of? Show me, Lord. What is it that you can use? Where is the remaining foolishness in my life? Where is the remaining stubbornness in my life? I'm going to give you one more must this morning in closing. You must start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and end with Jesus. So you must witness to your friends and share your faith, and you must... Start, stay, and end with Jesus. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll take a few more verses this morning before we close. For, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Notice Paul's heart. He's devoted. He's committed. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you at Laodicea. 
See, Paul's writing to a couple churches in a region. For, for all who have not yet seen me face to face, many of these people he'd never met. See, you don't even need to know somebody to help somebody, to minister to them. How often is someone in the community on our heart when we hear of tragedy and we think to ourselves, well, I don't know them, so I'm going to let someone else closer in their sphere of influence minister to them. No, we can minister to strangers too. Paul is ministering to strangers writing this letter. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Notice there's relationship there. I would ask you, who are you in relationship with at the church? If we're going to grow alongside someone in the faith, who's that going to be? Who are you praying with in relationship? Who are you learning with? What people have you invited into your life because they are safe? Because they are godly? You become, would you agree, who you spend the most time with? The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. You become who you associate with. Who is challenging you? Paul continues to reach all the riches for full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, ultimately, this is about Jesus. And then he writes, I say this in order that no one may delude yourself with plausible arguments for though I am absent in body yet I'm with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ notice that Paul says the there are delusional plausible arguments out there do not be mistaken again what this means there's healthy food out there and there is unhealthy food out there. There's not only nutritious instruction out there, there is poisonous instruction out there. There's not only edifying relationships out there, like the one you're currently in, Toby, there's also relationships that will destroy you if you let them. Yesterday, in the, I'll conclude with this illustration. I'm glad the kids are here to hear this. Yesterday, I was in the aquarium and the most frightening creature that I saw, and I saw a lot of creatures that just gave me the, the willies, okay? The most frightening creature I saw was a creature called a lamprey. A lamprey. If you want to see a terrifying creature, Google lamprey. Lamprey. I could see some people were creeped out by the tarantulas, I could see some people were creeped out by the piranhas. I'll tell you, the moray eels, you know, they were a little frightening. But you know what creeped out your pastor? The lampreys. That's what creeped me out. They're like leeches on steroids. Okay, leeches are about this long. Lampreys are about this long. They're actually in the Great Lakes. They're an invasive species. So think about that the next time you're swimming around in the Superior (laughs) or Lake Michigan. These things' mouths, when they open, become a perfect circle and they are filled, their mouths, with concentric circles of razor-sharp teeth 
and, and, and they latch on to fish and literally suck the blood and life out of them. Paul's saying, watch out for the lampreys in your town. Watch out for the lampreys at your job. Watch out for the lampreys in your own family. Not everything they say is true. There's something that, there is something the Bible calls dishonest gain. Not everybody's motives are pure. They sure sound good. They have plausible arguments. But you need to be wise. Do you remember how Jesus put it? Be tender as doves and shrewd as snakes. Church family, are you aware that not everything on the internet is true? Are you aware of that? Not everything on the news is true. Not every habit is life-giving. <laughs> Lampreys are compelling. When you watch them swim, they look rather harmless. But when they open their mouth and there's a buzzsaw of teeth in there, that becomes a problem, right? So somebody here needs to hear that not everything you've opened your life up to is helpful, some of it's crazy. Some of it's nutty. Some of it is slowly killing you. Now, I know this has been a rather frightful conclusion to a sermon. But Jeremiah called these broken cisterns. This is age-old, timeless advice. At the risk of oversimplification this morning, let me just remind you, do not drink from polluted wells. What goes in comes out. Don't mess with lampreys. This may seem like a no-brainer. Stay away from cults. I'm just going to list a few for fun. Stay away from cults. Stay away from witchcraft. Stay away from violence. Stay away from drugs. Yes, Toby? Stay away. Stay away from extramarital sex. Stay away from it. It's a lamprey. Avoid false doctrine. If you're a business person, be an honest one. Don't sacrifice your integrity for a dollar. Amen? Avoid political extremism. It doesn't matter the side. Don't be an extremist. It's dangerous. Seek holiness. You know my voice cracks. I'm serious. Seek purity. Honor the Lord with how you live. Stay with Jesus after you've started with Jesus and end with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray today, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would care for us, that you would strengthen us, undergird us, Lord. Help us to honor you. Lord, let us rid our lives of broken cisterns where we've been drawing water that's impure and that's poisoning and killing us. Lord, help us latch on to people in the faith who will strengthen, build us, care for us in Jesus' name.
Amen.